Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. And we are coming to the end of the Supreme Court's term, although I feel like we say that every week now. But we're really, really, for real. We're for real coming to the end. We are recording this on Tuesday, June 18th. We have another week of opinions, possibly two weeks, if the justices decide to add a couple more days. But we've got 49 Supreme Court opinions down and 20 more to go. 20. That's a lot. Uh, but the justices confirmed that we will be getting an extra opinion day this week. We'll get one on Thursday. So we're going to talk about all the cases that we got uh, yesterday, Monday, June, whatever day that was, 17th, 17th. the 17th. And then on our next podcast, we'll chat about what we got on Thursday. Those opinions are going to be really good. Oh, yeah. Starting to get into the good ones. Yeah, some some good ones uh, this week, too. There were four. Had some interesting lineups mm-hmm. in them, right? And Which well, is the theme of the term, right? Exactly. exactly. Had a little something for everybody in there. But before we even get to that, there weren't any new grants, but there was some, well, at least one sort of noteworthy order in the Klein case. Do you want to talk about that one before we get into the opinions? Sure. Well, this is Klein versus Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industry. And this is an appeal from Melissa and Aaron Klein, who are bakers, who appealed their $135,000 fine for violating the state's anti-discrimination laws. And that is that they refused to make a cake for a same-sex couple um, who were going to celebrate their wedding. Sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. This is really uh, one in a long line of these disputes over um, wedding services and whether or not states can uh, require that uh, wedding providers provide these services equally to same-sex and opposite-sex couples. So the Supreme Court here did what it's kind of done in all of these cases, which is just to kick the can down the road. seems like they really, really really, really, really don't want to actually decide this issue. Yeah. Um, it was so. weird because it was kicking around for a while, right? They didn't do anything with it. And then in the end, they officially decided not to do anything with it. Right. So what they did was they GVR'd, they grant, vacated, and remanded the case back to the lower court so that it can uh, decide whether or not its decision in Masterpiece Cake Shop makes any difference to what the, the lower court had decided before court watchers may remember Masterpiece Cake Shop from last term in which the court kicked the can down the road on this issue and basically said that in in that case, the Colorado Commission to have considered the baker's appeal was unduly biased against uh, the baker and his religion and showed hostility towards religion. So they sent the case back. This is actually the same thing that the court had done with another case, Arlene's Flowers, mm-hmm. involving a florist and wedding services. Um, the court had sent that case back also in light of Masterpiece Cake Shop. And just recently we heard from the Washington Supreme Court that they had affirmed their judgment, meaning that they upheld the fine against um, the florist there. So that I mean, one could be coming back. I feel like this issue is going to keep coming back at some point. Someone's going to have to decide something. Or maybe maybe everything will peacefully work itself out. Either one. One or the other. Some, one of the sides will give in and we'll just we'll work itself out. All right. Looking forward to that. But that was really the only thing we got that was notable from the order list. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of denials. But as you mentioned, no, no new grants. 
So let's talk about some of these opinions. Let's do it. We got a, one that we've been waiting on for a while, right? Gamble versus United States. Yeah, this is a fun one. This is the double jeopardy case. Oh, fun. Yeah. And so back when the case was granted, the court straight up decided to take on the question of whether this longstanding dual sovereignty doctrine should be overruled. And just take another step back. People generally familiar with double jeopardy, the Fifth Amendment, you can't be tried twice for the same offense. But then this turns into the question of what does the same offense mean? And so under this dual sovereignty or separate sovereigns doctrine, as some people call it, you're allowed to be tried twice for the same conduct on both the state and federal level under the theory that it's not technically the same offense because they're being prosecuted by separate sovereigns, the state being one sovereign and the federal government being another. And so in this case, Terrence Gamble was prosecuted for the same gun conduct in Alabama on both the state and federal level. And he argued that the second prosecution violated his double jeopardy rights. And so the court granted certain his case to decide whether this longstanding doctrine should be upheld or overturned. So when that happened, I guess some people thought maybe they were taking the case to then overturn it on the thinking that maybe it's a little weird to grant certain the case to just say we're going to uphold this longstanding doctrine. But then once the oral argument happened, it became a little bit more complicated because it seemed like the justices, there wasn't a majority to want to overturn this longstanding doctrine. And then we learned that officially to be the case when we got this decision upholding the longstanding doctrine in a 7-2 opinion by Justice Alito. And interestingly, the two dissents in that case were each from Justices Ginsburg and Gorsuch. Uh, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Thomas had both previously called the doctrine into question. And Justice Thomas didn't dissent, but he wrote a concurrence agreeing with the majority that upheld the doctrine, but writing at length sort of in general about stare decisis, not even just related to this case, but saying basically that it should be easier to overturn a decision if you think it's a bad one. Right. And so this is one of four cases this term that explicitly ask the justices to overrule uh, a precedent. Right. Um, and so, so far we've gotten decisions in two of those cases. Um, this one where they refused to overturn the precedent and Franchise Tax Board where they did overturn a uh, longtime precedent. So one in one. And I think this is an issue people are watching watching to kind of see what direction the court might be headed in other more controversial precedents, you know, right. like abortion. and Well, exactly. Speaking of Justice Thomas, who's been writing separately pretty aggressively on that, this decision can be read to say that at least one justice, if thinks the case is demonstrably wrong or whatever the standard was that he wrote, that he's going to be a vote to overturn it if he doesn't like it. Well, interesting. I, I thought it was inter interesting that you mentioned that Justices Ginsburg and Gorsuch were in dissent, but they did not join each other's dissents, which is, will actually be kind of a, a theme here yeah. today. Yeah. So they agree, but they don't agree. Right. They agreed. They agreed to disagree separately. Exactly. If that's if that's right. I don't know if there are too many double negatives there, but no one will be able to understand. If we just pretend like it's right, it'll be Sounds good. Okay, good. So what else did we get? We had this uh, redistricting case, Virginia delegates, Virginia House of Delegates. Not that redistricting case, right. but yes. This redistricting this case. This one. What's this one? Not that one. So <laughs> this one is not the partisan gerrymandering cases that uh, we've been waiting on for a couple of terms, actually. Mm -hmm. This is Virginia House of Delegates versus Bethune Hill. This is a racial gerrymandering claim that's actually been bouncing around for quite some time. Uh, this is challenging the 2011 redistricting that happened. And this is actually the second time this case has been to the Supreme Court. Uh, this time, 
the court actually comes down in a 5-4 decision with sort of a really wacky lineup. Really? What do we got? So it's Justice Ginsburg delivers the opinion for the court in which she's joined by Justice Thomas, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Gorsuch. Classic lineup. Yeah. And then Alito dissents with uh, the Chief Justice, Breyer, and Kavanaugh. You know, those four always, they're just like a little band of four merry brothers. Yeah, yeah. Can't keep them always, away from each other. I know, right? Um, well, the four, the dissent doesn't sound as weird as the majority. Yeah, that's true. But, we, I mean, Breyer doesn't usually cross over in these kinds of cases. We'll right. see him on, like, criminal cases. Um, right, right. But not in, you know... Not in, like, redistricting cases, right? right? Well, he won't in the partisan one. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, you know, this is really a narrow ruling, and it has to do with kind of an unusual situation in which, you know, parties have changed uh, or offices have changed hands after elections. And so the party that drew uh, the map that's been challenged as a racial gerrymander is no longer in power. Mm, and um, the attorney general's office, as well as governor's office, have now changed hands and are now, they're both Democrats. Right. And so North, once- Northam is still the governor of Virginia. I know. Remember that whole thing? I I try on a daily basis to forget it. But yeah, <laughs> I remember it. I remember it. Um, that's just not a thing anymore. That's, well, that's it's, a, it's a thing, believe me. I mean, yeah. I live in Virginia. It's a thing. All right. It's a thing. But anyway, for our purposes, it's not a thing. Right. And all the people, if they don't know what this is, are going to be very confused now. Yeah. So you want to fill them in or what the thing is? Well, what I was thinking about anyway was, I don't even remember when this was, like a few months ago or something, some photo came out of the governor in Maybe blackface. the governor. Maybe the Maybe. Go- a photo emerged from the governor's medical school yearbook, I right. think it was, mm-hmm. of two people in some sort of racist costume. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, just seemed like sort of a, a matter of time of, you know, was he going to be out of office, you know, within the hour, or within the day, but then... He just down the line that it continued to have kind of just waited yeah. it out. Anyway, yeah, I hadn't even. Okay, anyway. all of that has nothing to do with this case, by right. the way, except that uh, the Democrats who were in charge of the executive after a lower court ruled that um, the Republicans in charge had gerrymandered the districts by considering race too much and ordered that new districts be drawn for the House of Delegates. The Democrats now in charge of the executive said, OK, we're not going to appeal that anymore. And the Republicans who have a very narrow majority uh, in the House of Delegates wanted to pursue an appeal. Uh, in this case, the Supreme Court says that, you know, one house of the two house legislature can't pursue an appeal on the state's behalf and it dismisses the appeal. Um, so effectively, this is a win for Virginia Democrats, um, which is a pretty big deal because Virginia has been pretty purple for right. a long time and kind of um, switching over. I mean, it was I think it was this legislature that was decided by coin toss um, wow. or maybe they picked something out of a hat. Yeah. Um, so very close. So um, this will have some implications um, for the upcoming election. Virginia has off year le- elections, which means that whomever gets in power um, is going to uh, hold control of the House of Delegates um, for the 2020 redistricting cycle. So setting up districts for the next 10 years. So this is a... Mm. Uh, it was consequential for Virginia. Yeah. Going forward, though, I'm not sure how many times this will happen because it really involves, you know, first you have to unconstitutionally gerrymander a district and then right. you have to lose power and then you have to lose your court case and then you have to choose not to appeal and then you have to try and appeal. Yeah. Anyway. It's an impressive uh, <laughs> Probably not going to happen, but an interesting opinion nevertheless. Yeah. Thanks for catching us up on that one. <laughs> we went kind of in circles. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's all, all right. part of the plan. Anyway, Virginia became a state in, I don't know the answer to that actually, but. Yeah. Well, we're, we'll get back to Virginia later. Oh, we will. Right. That's right. We will. First, let's First, stop off in Manhattan. Yeah. A place without any problems. Um, <laughs> Except disputes over public access yes, channels. Of course. This is really the main problem gripping Manhattan right now. Yes, exactly. So, so tell us about and, it. Uh, wherever the Wayne's World guys lived. Anyway. Peoria, right? Wasn't it Peoria? Um, Aurora. Oh, Aurora. Yeah. That's right. Wow. Wow. I got my Illinois suburbs all messed yeah. up. Anyway, in the case at bar here, Did-a-roo. as they say. Did-a-roo. Exactly. Did-a-roo. Yeah. Game on. <laughs> Manhattan Community that, Access Corp. Manhattan Community Access Corp against Halleck. This case featured a, a more traditional 5-4 lineup that the listeners A little more. Might, yeah, a little more. A little more. <laughs> A little more. Um, This was a First Amendment case, and it had to do with state action, and there was a public access TV channel in New York, and it was run, though, what are we calling this entity exactly? A private nonprofit corporation called the Manhattan Neighborhood Network, and there was an issue on one of the shows, and there was a question of whether they could be subject to First Amendment restrictions. And so the question is whether this private, technically private entity could be subject to First Amendment restrictions under this state action doctrine. And in a 5-4 opinion by Justice Kavanaugh, joined by the other four Republican appointees, the court said that the entity is not a state actor subject to the First Amendment. That's the long and the short of that case. Yeah, that now we have 13 5-4 cases or their, their equivalent only six of which so far have come down along these lines, hmm. um, which is a little surprising. The other ones have these like funky votes like yeah. we talked about in the Yeah, We'll check Virginia. in next week and the week after that we should, yeah, should be evening out, right? Right, right. Well, not evening out, really lopsiding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for now it's fun or whatever the word is. Interesting. Should we go back to Virginia? Let's do it. I, I miss Virginia. Okay, back to Virginia. Yeah. Uh, so the last opinion that we got was Virginia Uranium versus Warren. It was Virginia Day at the court. Virginia ended up 2-0. and Woo! Home state. Maybe 3-0 and if it wants to prosecute Paul Manafort now after the gamble decision. But that's a whole other question. That's right, because all that stuff is happening in... One of the places. And New York. It's all Virginia. It's all New York. Anyway. Let's start over. Uranium. <laughs> what can you tell me about it? Uh, so this was a question of if Virginia's ban on uranium mining was preempted by federal law. And? It's not. It's not. So the Supreme Court decided in a 6-3 decision that it is not. But interestingly enough, there was no majority opinion. We've got a 3-3-3 breakdown. Um, That's just crazy. And some really interesting stuff in these opinions. So uh, the opinion was apparently assigned by Justice Thomas to Justice Gorsuch. And why do you say that? Uh, Because Justice Thomas is the most senior justice in the majority. And so he would have made the opinion assignment. And it looks like, now, of course, this is all speculation, but it looks like from reading the opinion that uh, Justice Gorsuch was assigned the opinion and did not do a very great job of keeping the majority together. Um, so his opinion, he announced the opinion of the or the judgment of the court, but his opinion was only joined by Justices Thomas and Kavanaugh. And Justice Ginsburg, who agreed that state law wasn't preempted, uh, wrote separately. And she was joined by Sotomayor and Kagan. And she had some stuff in the beginning of her opinion 
I'm just going to read from it. You know, Justice Gorsuch's opinion is pretty Gorsuchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it looks a lot at, at text and, you know, what the intent of the legislature was. Let's see, he has this line in here. In this, as in any field of statutory interpretation, it is our duty to respect not only what Congress wrote, but as importantly, what it didn't write. Um, they're saying, he's saying. That sounds it, like, uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, he's saying, you know, they didn't write that. Virginia couldn't ban uranium mining. And so Justice Ginsburg got a little, maybe her feathers got a little ruffled (laughs) because she wrote this about Justice Gorsuch's at one time probably majority opinion. She says, but his discussion of the perils of inquiry into legislative motive sweeps well beyond the confines of this case and therefore seems to me inappropriate in an opinion speaking for the court rather than for individual members of the court. So Mm. it seems like they kind of broke off. Yeah. uh, The three of them. Um, Wow. R.I.P. Gorsuch's opinion. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, um, they weren't the only ones upset with it. So the chief justice wrote in dissent. The chief justice doesn't write very often. Right. Um, I think maybe this might have been his second dissent. It's fun when he does, though, because he, he's good at, you know, really putting people through the wood chipper. Well, so. let's listen to this. This is how it starts. And he's joined by Justice Breyer and Justice Alito. Here, here. He kicks it off. Although one party will be happy with the result of today's decision, both will be puzzled by its reasoning. That's because the lead opinion sets out to defeat an argument that no one made, reaching a conclusion with which no one disagrees. Damn. Savage. Yeah. So, yeah, seems like we had some interesting conference conferences about Virginia uranium. Yeah, yeah. Well, the theme of that, and I didn't mention anything about the dissent in that First Amendment case, but that kind of sounds like what Justice Sotomayor wrote in her dissent to Justice Kavanaugh's opinion, which said, the court tells a very reasonable story about a case that is not before us. Hmm. Interesting. You wonder if this is really, you know, hiding, not hiding very well, some, you know, deep divisions that are going on in the court. Yeah, it's, you know, and this is not even with the most, most contentious cases yet. So, right. Read for the wheel. I Wait mean, for the real fireworks. Uranium mining is pretty contentious. Apparently. It's a 3 3 3 decision. Has that even ever happened before? Yes, that's happened before. We've even had, we've even, haven't we had cases on how to interpret 3 3 3 decisions last term? Oh, the, uh, the marks yeah. thing. Right. But they didn't resolve that. <laughs> oh, they, they split 3 3 3. That would have been crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot about that. That issue. Yeah. So that, we've definitely had that before. Right. I, I mean, I think there's an effort gener- generally to avoid that. That is a 414. Oh, 414. <laughs> and as a special treat, we have Bloomberg Law intern Jake Holland, who took his first trip down to the Supreme Court on Monday. Hey, Jake, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So that was your first time at the Supreme Court, right? Yep. And what was it like? Glorious, right? So I was not in the actual chambers themselves, but it was still cool to see everybody running around and all the commotion and excitement of Decision Day. That's right, because you joined me in the press room, right? So not in the courtroom where the justices were actually handing down the opinions. Was there anything uh, about the press room that surprised you or...? It surprised me how orderly everybody was in grabbing the opinions. I thought it was going to be a complete and chaotic mess, but everyone was pretty cordial in walking into the room and getting the opinions and then walking back to their stations. We're very nice. We try not to trip people until like the very last week of the court. Good to know. Good to know. That's when the elbows start to fly. (laughs) 
Um, so one thing that uh, they do in the press room is they pipe the opinion announcements into the press room so that the reporters can hear actually what the justices were saying. And we heard from Justice Ginsburg. Um, she delivered one of these opinions that we chatted about with Jordan earlier. How did she sound, Jake? She did not sound great. She, her voice was very hoarse, and mm. it was kind of hard to understand what she was saying um, when she was reading her opinion. And it was a long opinion announcement. I didn't. Why? Why couldn't someone read it for her? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But we heard from the press room. Don't worry, all you RBG fans out there. We heard from the press room that she just has a little cold. Yep. Hopefully she'll be good by Thursday. Yeah, we'll let you know. Um, Jake will be in the courtroom changing it up a little bit. So maybe we'll hear from you next week. Hopefully, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that was nice. We always get some good interns here at yeah. Blender Law. It's nice to have someone to do all your work for you. Right. That's... <laughs> well, thank you for listening. As always, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com, where I'm not writing anymore, but my intern is. And the same goes for me. Thank you, Jake. And <laughs> thanks for listening. Hi there. I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.